Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy divisional round. Wildcard week is in the past. Championship Sundays are ahead of us. We got four games to break down. And by we, I mean myself. And as always on this edition of the podcast, PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it was weird on Monday night, man. I should have made a Twitter joke, but it's in the past now. But we actually had the real The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, on the man extreme. And you know, that's now you as well. So look how much you guys have in common. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we look uh, so similar. Did you yeah. watch that? Did you watch that one? I didn't watch the Manning stream. Dude, yeah. they, Man- hold on real quick. He had like this giant dinosaur skull. It, it did not look like his office. It looked like a spare bedroom. And The Rock had this giant dinosaur skull like on the in his background. And finally, like Eli asked him about it. And The Rock was like, oh, yeah, it's actually like the most complete T-Rex skull like ever found. So The Rock is put the most complete T-Rex skull ever found in your spare bedroom rich so hopefully Dwayne after this edition of the podcast we'll be somewhat closer to that <laughs> yeah well we could win Millie makers every week and we would never <laughs> touch like we could we could do that for the next 30 years and we couldn't touch you know the rock but hey I'll, I'll take it you know I, I would like to just have like as much muscle like in my whole body as he has like in one arm like I would take that <laughs> all these millennials buying their cat nfts why not what happened to buying a real life dinosaur skull Dwayne? kids these days couldn't be me but enough of that we got some football to talk about Bengals at titans titans sitting as three and a half point favorites opened two and a half game total holding steady at 47 no really no real huge weather concerns this week all the way around we're gonna get pretty cold in lambo but at least for this one in nashville 32 degrees just a one percent chance of rain three mile per hour winds not worried about much there usually Dwayne and i with these i take the away team he takes the home team we're gonna talk about everyone together today because again we only got four games to go over so Dwayne starting off I wrote an article uh, this week on if it's possible to slow down Joe Burrow spoiler it is the guy hasn't just the guy has thrown incomplete passes in his professional career contrary to popular belief and what he's been doing out there lately but what I was able to kind of find here are two potential ways for Tennessee to at least slow him down relatively things that usually slow down most quarterbacks but it takes Burrow from being literally maybe the best quarterback in the game to something you know closer to just very good so with that in mind the two things I found were one the pass rush Bengals ranked 25th in PFF pass blocking grade this year and they've given up multiple sacks in all but two games the entire season. So Burrow, still the 10th best quarterback in pressure. Again, none of these things I'm going to bring up are going to paint Burrow as anything close to a bad quarterback, but if the defense can get a lesser version of him out there, it's going to help. But Dwayne, things we've talked about, particularly I think ahead of those Baltimore Ravens games throughout the year, is that Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the game against the blitz. So when he's pressured, but but you got a blitz to get there, he's still been first in yards per attempt, fourth in adjusted completion rate, ninth in PFF passing grade, the key is pressuring Burrow without blitzing. When you can do that, he's 17th in PFF passing grade, 15th in adjusted completion rate, still fifth in yards per attempt because, again, the dude is an absolute maniac. But what I found was interesting and something that, you know, one of, I think, the smartest guys in our company for pure football sense brought up, Deontay Lee. And his point was like maybe in some of the evolution of future kind of NFL pass rushes, we'll see more creepers. We'll see more simulated pressures out there. Right now, the Titans do that more than just about anyone. 26.5. 
18.8%. The Bengals are in a distant second at 18.2%. And that's simulated pressure. That's when you're only bringing four guys, but you have multiple guys walked up to the line of scrimmage. And hopefully by doing that, you're basically forcing the offensive line to react as if there will be a blitz and then not bringing it. So if the Titans are able to do that, confuse the line of scrimmage, and just really make Burrow think that they're going to come and create that pressure without actually devoting extra resources, it's going to go a long way. And then Dwayne, really on the back of that, I think it goes hand in hand with what they'll want to do here. We've talked all year about, you know, the struggles that Burrow and really every quarterback that, you know, we like to think is really good have had against these two high looks. Burrow is not an exception. Again, he is still the 12th best quarterback in yards per attempt versus cover two, cover six, cover four. But the dude's number one against cover three and cover one. So if the Titans can Again, get pressure without sending extra bodies and find a way to play more too high coverages, which to their credit, man, this has not been a Raiders defense where they just, you know, my scheme each and every week, you know, our guys are going to beat their guys. They use these they use these too high coverages on 15% of the time in week four, 56% of the time in week 15. So we've seen them change. We got Kevin Byard, Armani Hooker, PFS number one, number nine ranked safeties. I think this Titans defense has a path to slowing down these Bengals. But as you'll get into, Dwayne, there's a lot of guys to slow down over there in Cincy. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, looking at the Titans, like I think you just hit on a key thing. Like we have seen them really change up like what they're doing. But I mean, down the stretch, you know, since like week eight, like, man, they run a ton of quarters. You know, I mean, early in the season, they weren't using it much, like 7%, 5%. But if you look at over the last several weeks, whenever they've kind of been in their groove, 27%, 22%, 20%, 27%, 32%. So we've really seen them ramp up their utilization of those coverages. And at the same time, what you've seen is really your cover two and your cover three stuff, which had been higher earlier in the season, it has gone down. So they've really tried to become a more diverse offense. I think that the Rams and the Chargers and even some of Vic Fangio's past defenses, not so much the Broncos this year, they used a lot of man coverage, right? They've really given, you know, the league, the idea of everyone else, like in the NFL of how do you stop like these really potent passing offenses? And, you know, in its simplest form, it's like, hey, just don't give up the big play. Now that is easier said than done to your point you know when you're facing off against the Bengals and you look across from you and you see oh awesome Jamar Chase oh look there's T Higgins who's that guy in the slot oh Tyler Boyd can't forget about him either um, just as far as the way that the Bengals have attacked you know man and zone coverage though for this season it's really interesting you know whenever you look at um, yards per route run versus man coverage versus zone coverage so Jamar Chase and this kind of goes to your point where you see that man coverage, which the, the, the most common man coverage we see in the NFL is the single high, right? It's a, it's a, it's a cover three single high. Then you have cover, a true cover three, cover three zone, right? Which is the, op, it's, it's the same thing, but you're using man coverage and you're locked up on the outsides. But against that man coverage, yards per route run for Jamar Chase, 3.26 drops to 2.44, 2.44, which is still really freaking good yards per route run. But that's what it goes down to. We'll take what um, we can get here. They're good against everything, man. But if you can right. go from being number one to like 12, okay, that's a win for the defense. Yeah. And so when you look at Higgins, like he's really even. 2.11 yards per route run versus man. Man, 2.11 versus zone. You look at Tyler Boyd, 1.61 versus man, 1.47 versus zone. If you look at it for the season, like really against zone coverage, the most targeted bingle has been Jamar Chase at 24% of the targets. You have T. Higgins second at 19%. Not that this is really going to change any of y'all's ranks or your ideas about who you're going to play in DFS or whatever. You're like, oh, <laughs> great, Dwayne. So you're telling me Jamar Chase is, you know, the top option on the bingles. Yeah. 
yes, I am telling you that for this week. But don't forget T. Higgins. He's also very active. He's very engaged, you know, in the offense. Then you have Tyler Boyd as your three. I have, despite the fact that, you know, I do think that the Titans will do some of those things you've talked about. We also know that the Titans have not necessarily been, you know, that tough of a matchup. They haven't been that tough of an out against receivers this year. Over the last six weeks, they've been a little bit better. That's that's throwing out the last week of the season. They've only given up 31.3 points per game to opposing wide receivers, which is better than where it had been earlier in the season. But I still think, you know, looking when obviously when you get a condensed slate like this, where we get everything down to just this few number of games, Jamar Chase, I have him as my number four receiver. T Higgins, my number seven receiver this week. And Tyler Boyd's just outside my top 12. But like he could come through at any time with a big play. And the, the thing we've seen with Boyd, especially here recently, Ian, is man, he just gets forgotten. And not so much forgotten. It's just like you're, these teams are trying to give, you know, this additional help coverage. They're trying to, you know, figure out how to run brackets and all these other things on Higgins and then on Jamar Chase. And man, when that happens and you get confusion in the secondary and you've got people that may not be able to make communication right before the snap of the ball, all of a sudden you see these plays where Tyler Boyd's just running free, right? It's like something some, you know, eight-year-old schemed up against Ian on Madden, you know, and he's going nuts over there. Like, how are you getting these open looks? So I like all those receivers this week, obviously not really breaking any news there. Um, just remember on Joe Mixon, like that is one way that they can really get the that you can force the Titans to play right more in those cover one looks more in those looks where they got to bring more players down the line. Like you mentioned, they are using some of that to create these simulated looks, which I do think is confusing a lot of quarterbacks, but Joe Mixon, you know, if you get him going, then the linebackers, the safeties, everyone else, they have to respect, you know, their run gaps, their run fits, then you use the play action to get in behind that. And so I think those are all options that are on the table for the Bengals this week. Um, CJ Uzama. Wow. Like just all of a sudden shows up randomly, like every eight games. Ian. I don't know what to say, but like great touchdown pass by Burrow last week in the end zone, like through the ball before Uzoma had really even made his break low and away defender couldn't get to it. So just a reminder that Uzoma can be a punt play in DFS probably still won't be rostered that much. I know you and Andrew will break that stuff down more later today. Uzama man hit that icky shuffle slash gritty yeah, celebration. Awesome. I was like, "What?" Icky was Look there, man. Icky was at the game. I saw Icky. Uh, you know, they, they have video of Icky out front of the stadium before the game doing the <laughs> shuffle. Man, he still had it. Great energy. Love all that. Cincinnati rise up. I've had so many strangers this week just say uh, "Who day?" As I'm going through the grocery store and stuff. City is alive, Dwayne. That's awesome. And so are the majority of both these teams. Just real quick on the injuries again. Dwayne and I recording this Thursday morning, but for the Saturday games, we do now have two days worth of practice and honestly there's just not really much to talk about in terms of either team trey hendrickson for the Bengals, obviously you know a key part of their pass rush he was limited to start the week with a concussion but he was already practicing in full on wednesday same thing is true as sam hubbard practicing in full mike hilton and yeah get basically every single you know key guy out there including derrick henry hasn't completely been activated yet but we got you know the report from our lovely friends over at nbc sports edge aka rotor world that Derrick Henry, quote unquote, smiled when asked if he'll be activated. So Derrick Henry, it does look like, is going to be out there. And look, Ryan Tannehill this year, it's one of these things where we're kind of battling some small sample sizes. Because as a whole, Titans, you know, if you want to call him pretender, that's fine. But when they have Henry, AJB, and Julio, things really have been clicking for Tannehill, understandably. So fun stat here from Rich Rebar, a.k.a. Lord Reeves on Twitter. 
Just 10.9% of Tannehill's dropbacks have come with all three of these guys on the field, but he's averaged 9.4 yards per attempt in those instances, with just Julio and A.J. Brown, 8.2 yards per attempt. Without them, 5.5, and then just 5.2 without all three. So the one interesting takeaway I found here, defenses didn't necessarily treat the offense all that different when he went from Henry to Foreman. They faced, you know, Tannehill was able to drop back facing eight-man boxes on 20.2% of his dropbacks in weeks one through eight. Weeks nine through 18, it only dropped to 19.6%, so just a 0.6% drop-off, but the performance fell off a cliff. Like, Tannehill was literally the league's highest-graded passer throwing up against eight man boxes in the first eight weeks of the year was averaging you know ridiculous i believe 9.8 yards per attempt dropped to 7.3 yards per attempt and ranked just ninth in pff passing grade weeks nine through 18 so i kind of think think that makes sense you know i think defenders look and they see derrick henry they see deontay foreman they know there's a difference there whether or not teams you know are actively you know game planning as much as we might think uh in terms of putting more guys in the box that could be where it's you know a little bit inflated in our minds a lot of stuff moving around with this i know julio aj brown even some linemen were also out during that second half of the period just realized henry should be a net positive for everyone involved here i just hope we get the great version of him Dwayne. this was kind of what made jonathan taylor's year so spectacular it wasn't just that he was getting the volume it was that for a long time man the dude was like flirting with six yards for freaking carry i'm trying to see right now what exactly he finished with but it was a hell of a lot higher than derrick henry i'll tell you that much 5.5 yards per carry for jonathan taylor everyone knows he's getting the ball it just didn't matter and the same thing is true about derrick henry everyone knows he's getting the ball but it kind of mattered man 30th in pff rushing grade 25th in yards per carry of 4.3 the exact same amount as deontay the exact same amount that Deontay Foreman averaged. Ninth in yards after contact per carry. He's a beast, but just 32nd in missed tackles forced per carry. And this isn't a small sample size, Dwayne. Derrick Henry had 237 touches in eight games. That's the 15th most in the league. And a funny note here, basically there are only three guys that played fewer than 10 games and still had over 100 touches. Derrick Henry, Deontay Foreman, and Christian McCaffrey. So these Tennessee Titans running backs, if you can figure out who it's going to be. What was the difference in yards after contact for Deontay versus Henry? But I, I felt like I was Henry looking at better. that yesterday. I feel like that was like a half yard or something difference. Henry was definitely a lot better in yards after contact. So I'm not trying to sit here and say But their explosive runs were similar, like 9% for Henry. So those are carries of 10 yards or more. Deontay Foreman, 8%. You know, So to your point, like – more similar than dissimilar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know you don't feel like that when you're watching the game, um, but whenever you just add it all up, I agree. I just think we're looking back potentially at Henry's performance a little... We're not looking at what actually happened, man. Like his last two games, 28 carries, 68 scoreless yards, 29 carries, 86 scoreless yards. First game of the year, he had 58 scoreless yards on the ground. Like, okay, some big performances in between there. I understand it. He had three, three touchdown games. It's Derek freaking Henry. Just realized like a lot of this was volume based, not necessarily the highest of efficiency. But if he's going to come back and help this passing game because of some of that extra attention, again, not so much from the formations, but because of the players, it's obviously going to be a positive for the titans but man unless that defense can just completely lock down burrow and company which i think we talked about probably not the most likely thing in the world i do think it's going to come down to ajb and julio being a problem for this entire secondary to deal with ajb still the same beast 2.5 yards per outrun this year that was eighth in the nfl he was third in each of 2019 and 2020 and even julio man like i get it 
Not the same guy. Had a bad drop last week. Could have been a huge game. He's not, you know, up at the top of the league. I believe last year, like, he was fourth in yards per out run. AJB was third. He's not that guy. With that said, he's still a damn good player. His 74.7 PFF receiving grade, that's tied with Amari Cooper, ahead of Adam Thielen, ahead of Mike Evans. Yards per catch of 14 is 26th among 96 qualified wide receivers. His yards per out run, tied with DeAndre Hopkins for 31st. So, i probably take all those guys I just mentioned still ahead of Julio. Either way, you're getting an objective top 30, top 35 receiver back into your offense. That's a positive when he's your wide receiver too behind A.J. freaking Brown. So a lot of weapons all around here, Dwayne. How, I guess, willing are you to ride the Derrick Henry train? Because again, not the world's most efficient running back to start the year. We've known the receptions and pass game floor have always been a problem. And then this matchup, man, I'm not sure if Tennessee is going to be able to give him the ball 30 times and have the hope of keeping up on the scoreboard. Yeah, I think the big key really for Henry, and, and there's a few backs that get this right in the league. Henry is a good player. We're not saying that he's not. But the biggest thing for the Titans, man, is they are so committed to sticking with the running game, despite whatever their whatever the game <laughs> script may be. You know, and so it doesn't matter if they're down. It doesn't matter if they're close. It doesn't matter if they think the Bengals are going to score on the next drive. Like they're still willing to run the ball just as much as, you know, any other play and that's just different than what most teams do right most teams are really adjusting on the fly they're going to run the ball if they're ahead they're going to run the ball early in the game but as it goes on and things get tighter and tighter most teams start to throw the ball more and more and more the further behind they fall they throw the ball more and more and more but whenever you look at at the titans that's just not the case so whenever you look at you know how oh, hang on let me fix this real quick whenever you look at how often like i have it right now isolated down to the last few weeks, but I wanted to pull it up like for the season on the Titans. So for the Titans on the season, like when you look at their run by game script. So whenever they're trailing by four or more points, they rank number one in rushing rate. Whenever they are in a game within three points, they rank number three in rushing rate. What's funny is like their lowest rank is actually when they're ahead. <laughs> and that's whenever they're ahead, they rank ninth. So they still that's rank when they in the top to three. Naturally. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, and there are a few teams that do that. Like, and part of that is just really the element of surprise is so huge in football. So like the Titans are trying to get really more out of each passing play while throwing the ball less. They know that for them, the passing game is an efficiency thing. They want to hit the big plays and they want to throw more when the opponent is not expecting it. And they want to run more when the opponent is not expecting it. Oh, they just want to run the ball all the damn time. Like, who are we kidding? Um, but, you know, and, and we see this a lot, like with defensive, with former defensive coaches, um, um, that are now uh, or defensive coordinators that are now head coaches, which is what we have with Mike Vrabel, who also comes from Bill Belichick. Yeah. Um, and if you just look around the team, you know, you know, I mean, when you have look, we love AJ Brown, but Julio Jones, like, let's just face it, like he hasn't been that good. We hope that he's going to be. He finally flashed a little bit right late in the last game. Um but I mean, when that's all you have, you don't have a tight end, you don't have anything else. Like it's also, I, I get like why the Titans have craft have crafted, right? Their offense in this way. Have they caught some breaks to be where they are? For sure. I mean, they've obviously caught those things, but at the same time, like looking at Henry, you know, am I going to be on the train? I think if Derrick Henry's playing, I mean, the biggest thing that I'm looking at, you know, when I think about the rankings, you know, is the Bengals really offer up the best matchup on the slate against the potentially best running back on the slate if he's healthy. Running back strength of schedule over at PFF this week is a 10 out of 10. Offensive line run blocking advantage for Tennessee versus the Bengals um, defensive line is a seven is a plus 73. That is the second best on the slate. The first bet, the, the number one ranked um, matchup of that one is Elijah Mitchell, which has an 85 for the 49ers. So, yeah, I think it's going to be tough to avoid Derrick Henry this weekend. 
if you hear that he's going to be active. Now, we won't know like what it's going to be. Is it going to be truly Derrick Henry getting everything he had? Man, I kind of I, for, I kind of doubt it. Like I, I just don't see him getting 80% of the rushing attempts. Now, I say that, and it's a do-or-die situation, right? You either win or you go home. So Last game of the year, that, Dwayne can't hold anything back. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they very well could. But at the same time, I think they would have to keep his health somewhat in consideration, conditioning somewhat in consideration. So, I mean, I do wonder, does Deonta Foreman get a little bit of work? We know there's going to be a passing down back. There's always a passing down back with Derrick Henry. He never gets all of the third down and long work. He doesn't get the two-minute offense in most situations. That usually goes to someone else. And that'll be Dontrell Hilliard. So the, the key for Henry is, can they just keep it from being a three-way rotation? If it's just the two, like we normally see, and they stay committed to the run, like we've seen, I think he'll be fine. But I don't see how I can't have him in the top three this week. Right now, I've got him sitting at number one. I'm waiting just to get more information. Like, you know, it does sound like he's going to play, but we'll see what his practices look like this week. If we can get and the problem with like when these guys are on these, you know, when they haven't been truly activated to the team yet, like the team doesn't have to report right on their practice participation. So it's all part of a big game because really, you know, Mike Vrabel doesn't want to share anything. So who knows what information we'll get other than Derrick Henry smiled. I do respect Titans faithful, like digging their way through the fantasy football world and finding every single ranking that doesn't have Henry as 2022. Oh, dude, I got, I got one running back. Up. I got lit <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. And what's funny is like, like you can even say something positive, like in the article, you know, <laughs> like basically explaining like, look, we all love Henry and, and the upper range of the outcomes is still huge for the guy, you know, but looking, you know, at coming off a foot injury, all the touches he has, all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter. It's just like, oh yeah, I... My ranks, I think, somewhere like the one that PFF had put up, like the one through five, and then some dude just plastered a face of Derrick Henry over it. It was really good artwork, though, so I give him credit. Like, it looked really good. 49ers at the Packers. Green Bay sitting as six-point favorites opened up four and a half. Game total of 47 and a half. 13 degrees with the wind chill. Could be a little bit closer to zero. Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee, Pat McAfee show was talking about getting the turtleneck out for this one. We shall see 10 10- uh, 10 mile per hour wins, 5% for precipitation. And, you know, really similar to uh, the Titans uh, Titans game and really everything else throughout there. Like, there's not a ton of injuries to worry about. There are some big ones, but I don't think we're probably going to have our injury pod this week. There just really wouldn't be enough to talk about. With that said, the big one to watch is going to be Nick Bosa trying to clear his concussion protocol. Opened up the week with the DMP. He did make it back with the limited practice on Wednesday, though. So that puts him on track to suit up. We also got to always worry about Jimmy G and his right thumb, which, you know, continues to not exactly be all the way attached. Could be a little more problematic than usual, uh, you know, in Lambo, but we we're fully expecting him to be out there. Um, also, Fred Warner looked like he was maybe going to miss the entire season. Seemed like a terrible injury when it happened. He's already back practicing in full as of Wednesday. Should be out there come Saturday. On the Packers, Jair Alexander. Alexander practicing a limited fashion. So is David Bakiari and, um, you know, still need to keep an eye on Zadarius Smith. But I know he is hopefully making a return as well. Only concern here is going to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who unfortunately had a downgrade going from limited to a DMP. So we'll talk about the Packers a little more in a bit in that wide receiver core because Randall Cobb will be back in action this week after an extended layoff while he was dealing with that hernia. Now with the 49ers, three claps. For Jimmy G, he's been pretty damn good the second half of the year since week nine, which is when they got Kittle back and Ayuk was really officially out of the doghouse. You know, fifth in PFF passing grade, first in yards per attempt, fourth in adjusted completion rate. 
Now, look, he's 26 in big-time throw rate behind Teddy Bridgewater. Like, there is a reason why Jimmy G has these great stats, but then, like, any of us that have ever actually watched the guy play know that he is not the top-five quarterback that some of the metrics make him out to be. But who cares, Dwayne? It's all created the same in fantasy and in real life. He's making it work. And, you know, when you got these weapons to throw to, how could you not? And I just want to see George Kittle maybe used a little bit here and there, man. Four straight games were fewer than 30 yards. You're just not used to seeing that from Kittle. I was expecting to go into, you know, his deeper statistics and find out that he has been pass blocking a lot more. Not really the case, though. He still ran around 24, 25 dropbacks last week. Ayuk was at 23. Juwan Jennings was at 16. Debo Samuel at 17. So really, it's still been the Kittle and Ayuk show in terms of routes. It's just been more Ayuk and then occasionally Debo have been the ones eating. With Debo, have a fun article coming out on Friday where I talk about how the best two rushers remaining in the playoffs don't play running back. And that means Debo Samuel and Josh Allen, number, or I should say top two in the NFL in yards per carry with Josh being number one. And Debo, man, just been so special all year all year round. I mean, how much do we as fantasy analysts love talking about Javante Williams and his, you know, missed tackles forced per carry? Debo's been better. He's number one in the NFL among, among 93 players with at least 50 carries, seven touchdowns of at least 10 yards yards on the ground that's first in the league and number two in yards after contact per carry at 4.4 spectacular stuff from Debo this entire year and when you look at this Packers defense man 23rd in yards before contact per carry 30th in explosive run play rate like this is just a situation where we've seen Shanahan and this ground game absolutely terrorize them in the past why did it not happen in week three when they played earlier this year that was a situation where they had to put Trey Sermon out there they didn't have Mitchell they didn't have Wilson yet and it was like the first game with Sermon that they even somewhat felt okay that was when Kyle Juszczyk basically still worked ahead of Trey Sermon as the lead backs now that they do have Elijah Mitchell and the streak goes on 250 four touches without a drop or fumble this year absolutely bonkers i do think we could just see a situation where jimmy as he did against the cowboys man isn't really going to be asked to really carry this offense on his shoulder so maybe Ayuk, maybe kittle can make the most out of you know their five or six targets but ultimately you know if i take the over under on jimmy g throwing 25 passes i would probably lean towards the under there so let's see if mitchell debo can take as much advantage of this front seven as we saw raheem Mostert do uh not that long ago and before I throw it over to you, give a shout out to Trent Williams, man. This dude is the swaggiest offensive lineman I have ever seen. Like they're doing these like walks out of the locker room now. They have some random guy holding a boom box. They walk out and it's Trent Williams and Debo Samuel so just rap, rapping to some gangster song that sounds awesome. And, you know, I could never even dream of uh, pulling off the moves these guys do. But they're just swagging out all the way to the field. You got Jimmy G behind them, like not really knowing what to do with his hands. I love every moment of the Debo Samuel Trent Williams, you know, so Ian, bromance we got this predicament. I was, I was listening to the Adam Levitan solo pod. I was uh-huh. out taking a walk on Monday. You know, our buddies from over at Establish the Run, <laughs> and uh, somebody wrote in a question uh, to Levitan, you know, saying, What does he do? He can't stop thinking about this, but his girl, I guess the girl he's with now has been with Debo in the past and he keeps seeing Debo with all this swag and you know, he's just like he's like I can't perform he's like oh, I do I can't get this out of my head you know but I, mean, I think Adam gave him the best advice which was just continue to use him in your DFS lineups yeah but you probably need to move on relationship wise god damn it talk that about losing so that confidence man probably feeling pretty good in 2020 and then 2021 started was like okay hold on a second uh, my god Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but back to the to, to the Niners. 
and just the way they can attack, you know, the Packers. Um, you know, you're right. Like Kittle has really been down like over the last several weeks, but they've been in some situations where they've played a lot of man coverage. And when you look at the way the 49ers have handled things, Really against man, it's been all about Ayuk. And then recently we've seen Jawan Jennings really kind of, you know, step up. If you look at Jennings over the last three weeks on third and fourth downs, he's the most targeted 49er. If you look at him on that third and fourth downs, what do you typically see on the other side? Quite often, right, it's that cover one, you know, single high safety with a blitz look, press man coverage. And so it makes sense, right? If you trust the slot receiver, typically you have the best matchup there. You're also typically getting a better release. And if you've got a decent route runner, which apparently Juwan Jennings is, you know, you can get separation. And then that is where Jimmy G has been trusting him. So looking at Jennings, like now 20%, he's second on the team in targets per route run versus man. That is behind 21% for Brandon Ayuk. Um, Not that we really needed that for Brandon Ayuk because we've talked about how it's hard to feed three mouths in this run centric offense. And now you're potentially looking at four with Jennings working his way into Jimmy G's heart on third and fourth downs. But this week you've got the 49ers going up against the Packers and the Packers over the last four games, here are their zone coverage rates, 77%, 76%, 72%, 73%. In fact, they've only had three games um, this year at 65% or less. So, which is one of the lowest rates. So the 49ers are pretty much, um, you know, sorry, a zone coverage team. I'm looking at the wrong team Ian. Sorry. I'm going to go with the Packers, like totally going boomer on you. But for the Packers, sorry, their zone coverage is 78%, 62%, 66%, 81%, and 92%. Same so story. They, same yeah, story. Same story. What's funny is they're like these two teams are almost mirrors of each other, like in many <laughs> ways. Like they run a very similar offense. Obviously, the Packers have the much better quarterback, but looking at the offense, you know, just from a standpoint of how they've distributed versus zone versus man, it has been much better for Debo Samuel and George Kittle whenever they face these heavier zone coverages teams. For Debo, his targets per route jump run jumped from 19% to 26% versus zone. Uh, man is the 19%. For Kittle, it goes from 17% against man to 25% against zone. And those are the two top targets on the 49ers from a targets per route run standpoint, as well as just total target share standpoint against zone coverage. So I think this is the week where we're going to see more Debo. We're going to see more Kittle. Obviously, the you know the Packers could make some sort of an adjustment, but they've pretty much been you know a zone-heavy team all year. So I don't, I don't expect to see them make a ton of changes here. Yards per route run for Debo, 1.69 versus man 3.47 versus zone yeah so that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest margins in the nfl for for wide receivers that have run at least 200 routes as debo and then for kittle it goes from 1.77 on yards per route run to 2.43 yards per route run versus zone coverage so i think this is a debo and a kittle week where Ayuk and jennings should fade a little bit more into the background as far as elijah mitchell just really quick man like he is just he's on fire Ian. like and it's it's like I was, I was writing about free agent running backs yesterday, you know, and some of the top ones. But, you know, as we're doing our research, we're also you're looking at all the other guys that are popping to the top of your list. And like Elijah Mitchell's like just like like kept popping up to like the top of a lot of the different things I was doing. It was just making me even rethink his his rank next year heading in, you know, which I've got a little bit low, not not super low. He's inside my top 12. But, you know, just the low draft capital has me a little concerned. Could they bring in someone else? The 49ers are always willing to draft another running back. We've also seen him use a committee in the past. But man, I just have to say with Mitchell, like over these last three weeks, 
coming back from injury. All we've seen are his rushing attempts expand. And we've seen this a couple times now. Like as he's come back into the lineup and get healthy, his rushing attempts have gone from 58% to 64% to 71%. And then if you look at his missed tackles force per attempt, 14%, 38%, 15% in those three games. Yards after contact in the last three games are nuts. 4.29, 3.24, 3.15. And then when you look at his, his explosive run rate, so those are carries of 10 yards or more, 19%, 10%, and 7%. So it's really really just down to Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel. No one else is getting any of the rushing work. Um, Debo's had 24% and 26% of the rushing attempts over the last two games. Mitchell's not getting any of that passing down work, but much like what we talked about with Tennessee, the 49ers are very willing to stick with the run no matter the game script because it really sets up everything else that they do. I'm happy you gave Mitchell some credit there because it's easy to watch some of his highlights and you're like, okay, there's some pretty big holes that Trent Williams and company are making for him out there. Obviously, Shanny's always scheming them in success, but those yards after contact numbers are bonkers and he does it consistently. This is not an instance of him, you know, breaking tackle at the line of scrimmage and having a couple trunk runs that have inflated that number over the year. One thing I like to do to check that is to look at what percentage of a running back's carries have included at least two yards after contact. And with that in mind, A.J. Dillon, number one in the NFL, which I think we can all kind of imagine that, that imagine that making sense. Elijah Mitchell, fifth man, like 73% of his carries have, inclu- have included at least two yards after contact. So, yeah, you know, everything Shanny and that offensive line are doing is great. But Debo and Elijah Mitchell, certainly great rushers in their own right. Moving and just on, for context for yeah. folks, so the average over the last three years is 2.93 yards after contact. And just so when you hear us talk about missed tackles force per attempt, it's 17%. And then whenever we think about explosive carries, those carries of 10 yards or more on the ground, the NFL average for the last three seasons for running backs. This excludes your receivers. Maybe I need to include Debo. Um, And I exclude the quarterbacks, but it's 10.5% for running backs. Just kind of a baseline so when you guys hear us talk about these numbers. Dude, I did my. I've talked about these charts throughout the year, but you know, uh, missed tackles force per carry on the uh, x-axis, and then yards after contact uh, per per carry on the y-axis. And I just put all the running everyone with fifty attempts this year, and then just in the top right corner of the entire graph is Debo Samuel. Dude is a complete freaking <laughs> monster. All right, moving on to the Packers side of things. So. I know this defense gave Rodgers some trouble in 2019. You know, we had that brutal regular season game from there and, you know, lost the uh, NFC Championship game, even if he wasn't brutal by any stretch. And it, whatever, that's a thing of the past. Last two regular season meetings, 2-0, 566 passing yards, six touchdowns, not a single interception. I mean, seeing what he and Devontae Adams were able to do when the entire freaking stadium knew who the ball was going to go to at the end of that uh, matchup they had earlier in the year was, you know, still one of the more minor mind-boggling things of the 2021 season for me anyway with Rodgers I get it if you all out there like Rodgers was my pick for MVP I don't have a vote so who freaking cares but uh, for me it was Rodgers because he was the more efficient quarterback than Tom Brady Brady had the counting stats and everything but I thought he had a little more help throughout the year and when we have Rodgers having the higher yards per attempt more accurate better big time throw rate QB rating with identical you know turnover worthy plays and PFF grades basically I just gave Rodgers the slight edge but you know what Either way, we're talking about two quarterbacks that haven't just been aging fine, but like they're truly playing their best football ever at this point in their career, which just, again, is so hard to wrap your minds around. But the one thing we've seen with Brady and now Rodgers more than ever – 
pressure can be what kind of you know makes the clock strike midnight on their late career fairy tales fail t- fairy tale story if you will sometimes i get complicated too complicated for my own good Dwayne. just need to, <laughs> need yeah, to talk I do the same thing and then i just start reading stats from the wrong team <laughs> <laughs> so with rogers this year when he's been kept clean absolute world beater fourth best pff passing grade 8.5 yards per attempt which is the eighth highest mark in the league under pressure though that yards per attempt mark drops to 5.1 which ranks 33rd the only quarterbacks with a larger yards per attempt drop off when they're kept clean versus under pressure Jameis winston and kirk cousins so truly rogers when defenses have been able to get to him has not been the same animal and you know with nick bosa as i mentioned you know progressing through that protocol could be an issue here because the 49ers do rank fifth in pressure and quick pressure rate quick pressure rates just you know measuring pressure in under two and a half seconds and they're seventh in havoc so you know i'm sure you all watched that 49ers cowboys game even after nick bosa was out of the picture man dj reed and some of those other guys were able to make a living in that cowboys backfield hopefully david bakhtiari and company are able to hold up better than they were maybe throughout certain parts of the year and maybe Devonte adams just continues to be absolutely uncoverable Let's see, five matchups against the 49ers since 2018. Adams has gone 10 catches, 132 yards, two touchdowns, seven catches, 43 yards in the score, nine catches, 138 yards, 10 catches, 173 yards in the score, most recently 12 for 132 and a touchdown. So I guess the bigger question is, you know, what's going to be going on around him? We mentioned MVS. Keep an eye on him if that back injury is going to keep him out. That would clear things up. In that case, we would have Devontae, Randall Cobb, and Alan Lazard. Shout out to Lazard, five touchdowns in his last five games. And eight on the season, man. He low-key had a pretty nice uh, 2021 for himself. The last game that they basically had everyone, though, was the Seahawks game. And that matchup was Devontae, 95% snaps. Randall Cobb, 68%. MBS, 66%. And Lazard, 59%. So I anticipate them kind of rotating the three auxiliary uh, wide receivers if they're all going to be healthy and active. But again, if MBS is going to miss this game, we'll certainly clear things up. And finally, with the backfield, Could be a tough one, man. 49ers, the only defense in the league allowing less than one yard before contact per carry. They have truly been a juggernaut against the run all year long. And look, A.J. Dillon's been great. Aaron Jones has been great. You know, number five running back in missed tackles force per carry on the year with at least 150 rush attempts. But I do think it's probably going to be split to an extent, Dwayne. And we've seen over the years certain teams, Alvin Kamara with the Saints. Like when they hit the playoffs, it's time to feature him. That 50-50 splits out of the window. But that hasn't really been the case with Aaron uh, Jones. He's only had more than 65% of the offensive snaps in one of four career playoff games. And it was actually like his first playoff game that he actually did take over the backfield. Wasn't the case in the previous three. So, Dwayne, start off, man. What are your overall thoughts on this backfield? Because we've kind of seen it go back and forth a little bit towards the end of the year. Jones, when healthy, has clearly been the lead back. I'm just not expecting him to all of a sudden go out there and really work as the true three-down guy. Because, again, to Dylan's credit, he's made the most out of his opportunities especially on the ground all season long yeah early in the season we've talked about this a little bit before but early in the season essentially Aaron Jones you know was handling everything he had had the year before plus he had picked up Jamal Williams's work in the passing game um, which is why we loved Aaron Jones going into the season we thought there was the potential for that opportunity to happen but then once he was injured um, A.J. Dillon did play well. And so since coming back from the injury, we've really seen – it's kind of been tough, right? We've seen games where really Jones has led the way, but then we've also seen games where Dillon has led the way. Um, so it's it seems to be really based on matchup and what they're trying to do. And you've actually heard Aaron Rodgers 
talk about this in the past. He's talked about when they have right the right matchups against the safeties and the linebackers, how they really like to get Aaron Jones more involved in the passing game. And so even though Aaron Jones's routes like don't really get over 50%, like there are these games where has he has these target spikes, right? He'll hit these 18 and 15% target weeks like he did in week 16 and 17, and a lot of that comes back I think due to the matchup. So it's like, it's like something that is kind of hard to put our finger on exactly, but I expect it to be as you do uh, more of a split backfield. If we look at the snaps over the last three, so this throws out week 18, right? Obviously Aaron Jones doesn't didn't play, but if you look at weeks 15, 16 and 17, you look at their utilization 63% of the snaps, 56%, 41%. So those are Aaron Jones snap rates, weeks 15, 16, 17. A.J. Dillon, 37%, 44%, 52%. Then when you look at the rushing attempts, 57% to Jones, 50% to Jones, 46% versus 33, 37, and 48. So to your point, like Aaron Jones still really is the lead back, but it's much more of like a 60-40 kind of thing, 55-45, when it comes down to the, to, to the way that the touches are ultimately divvied out. Um, I do think if they were to get into a shootout type scenario or they fell behind early, I think that Aaron Jones is more insulated, right, in that kind of game script than A.J. Dillon would be. But we've also seen Dillon, whenever the Packers get a ahead and they kind of run away with the game he's the guy that gets the carries at the end so both of them have a path to like where game script could matter for them even though they're both fairly stable um but i do like jones just because of his involvement in the passing game is a little higher when you look at the routes definitely uh higher for jones 49 percent, 49 percent, 46 percent. we'd like to see that number more like around 65 percent, 70 percent, like an alvin Kamara. that way even if he has one of these games where only gets six or seven touch touches on the ground you still have the opportunity to come up with seven or eight targets right through the air now the positive thing i will say with aaron jones is you know you guys already heard me read the zone coverages for the wrong team earlier but i'll give them to you one more time for the 49ers you know just looking at the way that they've handled uh, their coverages over the last several weeks um, for zone 94 percent 66 percent 77 percent 76 percent 72 percent and 73 percent it's only one game in there where they've been below 70 percent and they had one astronomical 94 percent game but i think you can expect them to to be somewhere around 70 to 75% of their plays from zone. And with Aaron Rock and with Aaron Jones, we see a big increase. And maybe this is part of right the way they look at these matchups. But if you look at his yards per route run, it goes from a 0.76 versus man coverage to a 1.55 versus zone. And his zone targets per route run, 22%. That's second on the team behind only Devontae Adams. So there we go. I expect this to be an opportunity for Aaron Jones to really get involved in the passing game. To your point, they will have Randall Cobb back. Um, Alan Lazard, you know, he's really gotten to operate mostly from the slot. But when we see Cobb out there, that does force you know Lazard outside. So he's probably going to face better coverage. This is also assuming that if MVS can't go, if MVS does go, I think it really becomes problematic, right? Then you've got more of that three-way rotation like you talked about, Ian, which I probably don't want to really be involved with. If I had to lean to one of those guys, though, it would be Lazard, who's really seemed to develop, you know, chemistry with Aaron Rodgers down the stretch. You know, we got PPR finishes of 2, 14, and 12 or sorry, 14 and 12 in week 17 and week 18. Um, he had one a little higher than that. I don't have it right in front of me um, in one of the weeks before, despite the fact that he hasn't been out there for 90% of the routes in any one of those games. So Lazard does seem to, even whenever he doesn't get to the thresholds we want for routes, you know, he and Rogers seem to have something going. They don't have a tight end really that they can use. Like it's just, they just kind of sprinkle in these targets to Lewis and DeGuara and these other guys, but none of them are really centerpieces in the offense. And so while Lazard is also not a centerpiece, you know, he he does seem to be the second guy. Devontae Adams, like, you know how I talk about like some of these things with certain teams where it's like, 
hey, I mean, we just did it with Aaron Jones. You can use him more against zone coverage teams versus, you know, whenever you have man, you're not probably going to see as many targets, et cetera. Devontae Adams, like, is one of these few elite alpha receivers. Like, it just doesn't matter. His target share versus zone for this for the team, 34%. His target, or sorry, 30% versus man, it's 34%. He by far leads the team. The next closest player in man target share is Valdez Scantley at 13% on the season. 30% zone for Adams. The next closest against zone is Aaron Jones at 13% of the targets. Yards per route run versus man, 3.05. Yards per route run versus zone, 2.9. Devontae Adams just doesn't care. Doesn't matter who the matchup is. Doesn't matter what the coverage is. He and Aaron Rodgers are just going to do their thing. Rams at the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay three-point favorites. Game total down just a hair. 48.5 opened at 49.5. Good weather in Tampa Bay this week. Thank God, 58 degrees, 0% chance of rain, 9 mile per hour winds. Injury report is a little bit longer for the Buccaneers, but I think a lot of these are probably going to turn to full practices by the end of the week. Either way, keep an eye on Giovanni Bernard, limited with a hip and knee issue. Levante David, limited with a foot. I think these are just, you know, carryover injuries. I don't think they hurt anything new. Just managing their reps during the week. Also still have Cyril Grayson, not practicing with a hamstring. Brashad Perryman, not practicing with a hip and abdomen. Jeez, Ian. Abdomen issue, not out there. Sean Murphy bumping there's Something like that, you know. Sean Murphy bunting, not practicing with a hamstring. Ronald Jones, not practicing with an ankle. Also got some issues on the offensive line with Tristan Wirfs, not practicing with an ankle. And Ryan Jensen, also out with an ankle. So keep an eye on those. But again, just the Wednesday. We don't have Thursday yet. I would imagine a lot of those guys are going to start moving in the right direction. The good news for Tampa Bay is that Leonard Fournette is almost assuredly back. The man tweeted himself, thank you for the birthday love. And then quote unquote, thank you all. And I, in all caps, I will see you guys. I guess he just said guy, you know, Sunday. So as long as he's not talking about one specific guy, he's going to see he, Sunday. He said, I will see you guy. He said, I will see you guys Sunday. So maybe this is a long con by Leonard Fournette here. We're really going to screw with us. But I think he'll be back. (laughs) Excuse me. Man. All right. With that aside, though, the Rams. Here's the thing, Dwayne. You know, we've gone through pressure, blitz, coverage stuff. When I'm getting into the weeds with a lot of this, sometimes I like to take a step back and try to make sure that what I'm thinking is exactly what I want to be thinking. And I think Stafford and the Rams are going to take down the Buccaneers. And that terrifies me, Dwayne, because why can't we just say Stafford versus Tom Brady, take Tom Brady? I make this mistake every single year, seemingly for the past decade, doubting this freaking ageless wonder. And maybe I'm going to do it again. But honestly, I can't really get past it because everything that Tampa Bay wants to do on defense, which is just wreak havoc. Number one, the NFL and havoc. And they do it with the second highest blitz rate in the league. That's what Stafford's best at, man. He's our third highest graded quarterback against the Blitz. 14 touchdowns, just one interception on the year when he blitzed 9.4 yards per attempt. I mean, that's why we saw him dice up this defense to the extent that he did earlier in the year. I understand a lot more, you know, coverage injuries uh, or or injuries just like cornerback, I should say, were going on with Tampa Bay at that point in time. But this Rams offense, man, the passing game in particular, this is tough for anyone to slow slow them down no matter what kind of health that they're going to be at because on the year, number two in EPA per pass play, only, uh, you know, behind the Chiefs in that. So last week, man, 
Cooper Cup, 61 yards and a touchdown, and the Rams put up 34, and Stafford played efficient as hell. That is absolutely terrifying, I think, to see. And as always, your Odell Beckham Jr. update. Six touchdowns since joining the Rams. Baker has only thrown three to the remaining wide receivers on the Browns. So you guys can put together whose problem that might have been back in the Cleveland days. And also shout out to Cam Akers. Uh, Dwayne, you, me, you, myself, and Nathan Yonke talked about Akers a good amount. I'm kind of looking ahead to 2022. But 96 yards, 19 touches. Look excuse me that was last year uh, when they actually played um you know in this matchup so i really just think that you know him being able to beat the lead back again and just be a healthy version of cam Akers, man ever since he's you know really entered the league that being in 2020 uh we've seen him do far more good things than not so i think this rams offense when when the good version of stafford comes out to play it's tough for anyone to slow them down it remains to be seen if that's going to happen now i will say i think some of this buccaneers ish could be overrated on defense i know they've been i know they've improved a lot over the year but i started looking at their quarterbacks and you can do this for a few teams i'm going to do this for the bills later so don't yell at me too much buccaneers fans but here are the quarterbacks that the buccaneers have faced since that rams matchup in week three mac jones jacoby Brissett, jalen hurts twice Justin Fields, a combination of Jameis Winston, Trevor Simeon, and Taysom Hill, Taylor Heineke, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, and Cam Newton, Zach Wilson, Matt Ryan, and then Josh Allen, who we all know is a freaking world beater. But my point is, the improvements on defense could maybe be a little bit more to do with the competition faced as opposed to them all of a sudden becoming this world-beating group of pass defenders. So, you know, looking at the ground game, I know it's going to be tough to move the ball against Vita Vea and company, and I don't know that they're necessarily even going to try but this cornerback room, if Cup, if OBJ, even Van Jefferson, who had that big game uh, last week, if they are able to take advantage against the Blitz like Stafford's done all year, I'm just not so sure how the Buccaneers are going to slow them down, Dwayne. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at you know the way the Rams are handling things now, we've kind of seen a shift like in the way that they're attacking defenses, and a lot of it ties back to really Matt Stafford has struggled more when he's been going downfield lately. It's like he gets on, we talked about this last week, he gets on a certain read, right? He doesn't come off of it ends up throwing a pick. And so we saw, actually, he did the same thing last week. It didn't end up not being picked, but the same thing we talked about, play action, boots out to one side, throws it back across to the opposite hash, into double coverage, doesn't care. It's like, he's like, I'm Hold on, no, are you, are you talking about that Van Jefferson throw? Yeah. No, bro. I saw someone, I saw a TikTok video on Twitter. I'm not actually on TikTok. This dude was breaking it down. If you look at Stafford on that, he had, it was basically a no-look like 40-yard pass. Like He looked that safety off the entire play and threw a dime. I know what you're saying. I don't think that was the play, though. Yeah, it may have been a different play. The play, and I can't remember, I think it was Van Jefferson, but it it might not have been um, now that I'm thinking about it. But the play I'm talking about, it was definitely, there's, there are two guys there, like whenever the, whenever the ball arrives. So I didn't, I haven't seen the TikTok video of this other one. So maybe it's a different play. I have to go back and look at it, but as far as the way they've been, you know, what it's, what it's created, like Odell Beckham Jr. is fine. Like he's been handling around 20% of the targets pretty much every game through the last three, 20%, 14%, 22%, you know, been working down the field, but what it's really opened up, you know, underneath, you know, recently because these teams are trying to take that big play away is if you look at it, Tyler Higby has been way more involved over the last several weeks, you know, his target shares, you know, his routes have been there all season, but target shares have been at 26%, 21%, 22%. And so it's really just allowed Higby to, 
to become a much bigger factor in the box score. And so it's just another example, though, of the Rams offense, to your point. They're really balanced. They've got a lot of different weapons, even though they don't have Robert Woods anymore. And Van Jefferson can still you know, do his thing as well. He isn't getting to play as much, but his routes are up over the last three games. We saw it go from 49% to 79% to 84%. Not quite back to where we want it to be. You know, Jefferson there for a stretch of the season. You know, was at 99%, 95%, 98%. He was out there playing every single play along with Cooper Cup, and it was Odell Beckham Jr. really rotating in, um, you know, as the third guy. But right now, it does look like Beckham, Beckham Jr. is squarely ahead of him. Um, obviously, Cooper Cup's going to do his Cooper Cup thing. Um, but the big, the big change, and like you mentioned, we talked about this a little bit already earlier this week. But as far as the running back, the running back situation, man, just seeing what Cam Akers is doing, um, 20% of the snaps in Week 18. You know, and I felt like, you know, like are they really going to press this guy are they really going to use him you know that much um and you know what last week they really did start with Sony Michelle and Sony Michelle didn't do a lot early in the game and they went to Cam Akers and he just looked better and you know so he ended up handling 53% of the snaps but in the second half he handled over 65% of the snaps so he was really out there um you know whenever the game was on the line and, and it could be more of a hot hand approach who knows right it could be something where they really look at both guys and then they let one of them play it's something just like at this point looking at it I just feel like Akers is kind of like on this path towards really taking things over. If you look at Sony Michelle, he just hasn't, he hasn't been bad Ian, but he just hasn't been great either. He's just, yeah. you know, if Sony Michelle was, you know, if he was a flavor, I would say like tapioca, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can still eat it. You can't go wrong with it, but you're not excited about it. You're not excited. Like when you open up your snack pack and you see it's tapioca, like you want some chocolate, you want something else. Um, so with Michelle, you know, looking at it, missed tackles forced, um, you know, uh, per attempt, you know, sitting at 18%, not bad. You know, it's a 1% above the league average, but yards after contact, 2.80, that's below the league average. Explosive run rate is below the league average as well. So I think, you know, Acres potentially just gives them um, an opportunity to look at someone else that might be able to give them more of that. I mean, and just seeing how, I mean, how good he looked last week to be so soon coming off this, you know, surgery to the Achilles, which someone actually hit me in the DMs because we had mentioned, you know, looking at the Achilles and, you know, how, how quickly people can, you know, heal from that. And basically, so like, and I haven't got to read the whole thing, but like the surgery has changed. And he sent me this example. There's an article of like this gymnast that I recovered in three months from an Achilles injury. So apparently there, there's some science going on behind the Bro, scenes. That's what, that, that's what Matt Kelly was telling me when he came on here for the uh, 10 questions pod, because he had to get like stem cells in his knee or some shit. Yeah, that's and right. Was, you were mentioning that. And like, he was basically saying all these things that the doctor told him and how like he, you know, left that appointment and how most people would be like, all right, you know, I can now live a healthier life with this knowledge. And he just gets in his car. He starts ripping off dynasty trades for Cam Akers based on what he learned about the Achilles issue. Like he literally said, he thinks like, like the Travis Etienne foot issue, like some foot injuries can honestly be more detrimental than Achilles at this point. Science, man. Yeah, it's crazy, man. But you love to hear it. Like these advancements oh, yeah. used to, and it's, it's like used to like the Achilles was like, you are coming back from it. The patella tendon was another one. Mm. Um, and we started to see these athletes that are coming back from it. And a lot of it probably has to do with some of those things like what Matt was talking about. Um, but the one thing to keep in mind with the Rams backfield this weekend, we could see Daryl Henderson. Like he's eligible to return. Um, he hasn't been designated yet as far as I know to this point. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, you know, McVeigh has continued to mention Henderson, but really more in the passing game when you read his comments and his quotes. So what you could see is you could, if Akers takes over the early down work, 
you could really see Akers taking, you know, all of that. And then you see Daryl Henderson really rotate in as, you know, the passing down back. What we don't want to see, you know, is Akers and Michelle splitting the early down work and then Henderson as the passing down back. We all know, uh, you know, three's a crowd when it comes to these backfields. We've gotten used to it. We've adapted. We've adapted, Ian. You know, we, we, can, we can handle two. But whenever you have three, it just becomes a, you know, it becomes a problem. And it's just interesting what you're saying, you know, around this, this, this uh, Buccaneers defense, because like on the surface, like Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Van Jefferson, the wide receiver strength of schedule is a 1.5 out of 10. Like it's pretty tough. Um, it's not as bad as what, you know, it shows for Mike Evans facing LA, which is a zero out of yeah. 10. But the overall matchup on the surface does look a little bit tough. So very interested, like in what you were saying just there, you know, a few minutes ago about some of the things that you've seen with this Buccaneers defense and the quarterbacks that they got to face and, you know, how that's impacting some of these numbers. And let's not forget, if Stafford doesn't have it, you know, on Sunday, maybe they let OBJ get a few snaps under center. Since 2018, including playoffs, minimum five pass attempts. Your league leader in yards for pass attempt, Odell Beckham, 30.7. Dude has a cannon for a right arm. More important things to talk about with the Buccaneers. Tom Brady, 4.9 yard average target depth last week, easily his lowest of the year. You know, we're seeing all the time to throw stats, you know, on that broadcast. And that's great when you can get the ball out that quick and you are going to really reduce what an opposing pass rush can do, but you're also kind of hurting the upside of your offense. And that's kind of what I wonder if it's still there or not. We got Evans, we got Gronk, we got Geo slash Lenny out there in the underneath areas, but they just really haven't been able to get that third receiver figured out ever since losing Goblin and AB. It looked like Cyril Grayson was going to be that guy, but again, he's still not practicing with the hamstring. Not Brashad Perryman's banged up. Tyler Johnson seems like every single week he gets at least one just ridiculously dirty stare for Tom Brady for one reason or another. And because of that, it's like, can Brady just single-handedly drag this offense ahead in a potential shootout, only throwing the ball to Evans and Gronk? And I do think we could see a situation where Evans will be shadowed Last year, he was in week 11. He wasn't in week three uh, this year by Jalen Ramsey when they faced off. I think some of that had to do with A.B. being, you know, really kind of ruled out only on Saturday because of COVID and also having Goblin out there. I understand both guys were there in week 11 as well. I just have a hard time believing that they're going to have Ramsey, Ramsey, you know, wasting his time on Scotty Miller or whoever on the outside with Mike Evans is going to be out there eating. So in that matchup, four catches, 40 yards on seven targets in Ramsey's coverage. Now Evans discord touchdown away from him it was a sack dope freaking yak play from like the six yard line where he carried a couple guys into the end zone so as we always say you know don't be fading player just because of a perceived tough wide receiver cornerback matchup with that said you know if you are you know between evans and someone else in dfs i would probably lean towards the other guy ramsey is that good and the best way to attack this defense you know unfortunately it led us to being on zach urch and christian kirk last week didn't exact work out work out in the uh, manner we hoped for but slot and the inline tight end have been the most you know efficient targets against the uh, Rams all season long. So Gronk and those RBs and maybe some more uh, slots now for Mike Evans, I think could go a long way in this one. But hey, man, I used to come down to just like the same thing we talked about with Aaron Rodgers. Can Tampa Bay protect Tom Brady? Because they could not in week three against this defense. He got pressured on 19 of 60 dropbacks in that game. Look, in week 15, that brutal Saints game, he got pressured 15 times. Those are the only two times all year he got pressured even 10 times. So again, to see him almost double his uh, you know third highest pressure rate of the year against these Rams, um, you know, wasn't good to see. And why would that even be surprising when you got Aaron freaking 
and Donald on this defense. This is another one where I don't blame people if they wanted to say TJ Watt, you know, was their defensive player of the year. Those sack totals were incredible. But Aaron Donald, even if this year was a relative, you know, for him down step, which it was, it was his, you know, lowest graded year since 2016. Here's the thing. This was still the highest graded defender in the entire NFL. Aaron Donald's been that guy since 2016. So even a lesser version of Aaron Donald, still pretty damn special. And we've seen that for most of the years. So, you know, with Leonard Fournette back, I do think, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be there to some extent, man. But at the same time, with Giovanni Bernard coming off a good game himself, Keyshawn Vaughn uh, doing his thing, I'm not so sure we're going to see Lenny be the same guy that was literally fourth in expected PPR points on the season. Gio did have 10 targets against them in week three. Now, that was all because of the Buccaneers of the uh, Buccaneers falling behind, having to deal with that negative game script. But, you know, similar to Derrick Henry coming back, like Fournette coming off this hamstring issue, it's hard to, you know, just really be fully confident that he's going to be at 100%. So, Dwayne, overall thoughts on this uh, backfield and then getting the passing game. But, again, I think we kind of know where the football is going to be going in the passing game, just a matter of, you know, how well Brady is going to be able to get it there against what is truly a very tough defense. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of the key things, Like, but to start with with the backfield, I mean, Fournette, obviously the hamstring injury is the big key. Um, and Gio Bernard really looked good in the passing game last week. So we could see Fournette come back to more of an early down roll, which early in the season that was fine, right, because the Bucks were just rolling folks. And so if they're ahead and they feel like they can continue to run the ball, um, running the ball inside the five, all those things, that really does help boost Fournette. But what's really helped him the most all season has been when he's had those situations where no matter what, they're going to keep him on the field in the passing game. And so I'm a little concerned about that because like Fournette, just as a running back itself, like he's pretty below average, like in all the things that we love the most, like explosive rush rate, missed tackles force per attempt. He's pretty solid in yards after contact. And these are all things that are over the last three years. Um, it's all from an article I did yesterday, which ranked the top eight backs going into free agency. And I bucketed them all into three different categories. Guys that, are, that could be an every down back where they land, guys that could be more complimentary and also help with passing down duties. And then guys that are really just two down bangers. And to be honest, like Fournette's kind of on the borderline. Like he he's in the right spot right now because Brady and the coaches trust him, but he's not exactly like this huge plus in the passing game. Like he's functional. So if, if, if you got Gio Bernard who may maybe he's playing as well as he's played all season. I think we there's a slight chance we see a little bit work, less work from Lenny heading into this game. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, I've got him at number three right now for the week. As far as the passing game goes, um, you know, man, you also had a couple of other, I felt like you're like reading right off my sheet here. Ian, are you, are you, are you, Staring at my sheet, Ian. Anyway, Dwayne, put... when we talk to each other for hundreds of hours throughout the year, I think we'll <laughs> probably start like to that. have some similar thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But when you look at Mike Evans, even though you like, he's gone up right in targets since we've had the injury to um, Chris Godwin, then we've got Antonio Brown out, you know, because of the antics that, you know, he pulled. So target shares have gone up from 15% to 22% to 28%. But just like you mentioned, they've gone to this more short uh, passing game, which has taken away some of the upside. So when you look at his, look at his average depth of target, it's gone from 20.4 to 10.3 to 8. And he's now at a 13.2 on the season. So they are trying to get the ball out quicker. Now, the good thing for Evans is they are using him uh, across multiple types of routes. His, his targets on third and fourth down have skyrocketed. So 23%, 33%, 29%. Really, Chris Godwin was the guy getting a lot more of those. So was AB. And Evans wasn't seeing near as much of that. But against zone coverage this year, um, Mike Evans, targets per route run versus man, 25% leader on the Bucks against zone. 
15%. So a big drop off. What do the Rams play? Almost all zone coverage. They are the highest remaining uh, from all the teams left in the playoffs. They run the largest amount of zone coverage. 78% over their last six games. 78% on the season. They've ran 82%, 79%, 75%, 70%, and 85% over their last five games. So expect to see the Rams use plenty of that. And so even if you do get these shadow situations, unless they're running you know, a zone match concept, a lot of times, you know, Ramsey doesn't end up shadowing a player because if it's not his responsibility to carry a route inside, just all depends. So a little bit of help for Evans here because his route tree has broadened now that, you know, he's having to carry more of the load with the other guys out. So I think that's going to help him a little bit. But to your point, like some of the upside is gone, but it is a Gronk week. So if you're playing over on DK, I think it's a double tight end stack week. Like you use Kittle in your tight end spot and then you just use Gronk as your flex. If you look at Gronkowski, you know, it's against, you know, the zone coverage. His yards per route run against man, 1.32 skyrockets to 2.49 against zone coverage. So I think this is a really good spot for Gronkowski. And Fournette or Geo, whichever guy is going to handle the passing down road work both carry upside because targets per route run for Fournette jumps from 21%, which is really good actually against man coverage, which is kind of wild. I think that's more of an anomaly, but against zone coverage, we often see the backs get more targets, 25% targets per route run, which is actually number one on the team. And then when you look at Gio Bernard, much smaller sample size, kind of limited here, only 117 routes that I'm grading this against, but 29% targets per route run against zone. So I think you're going to see plenty of check downs to the two backs. I expect Gronk to be heavily, heavily involved. So I like both of those plays as far as DFS goes. I love the two tight end call. I always feel like when I, you know, when I'm actually rostering two tight ends and I'm inserting that lineup, I got to like check over my shoulder, maybe make sure the Girl Scout <laughs> is not the front door. This is the but, slate uh, you get to do it, Ian. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a shrunken down slate and, you know, you got the right It's only matchup. the Titans and Packers that we don't have like a viable option. Well, and it also, you know, you have to find a way to differentiate your lineup. And if you can do it in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that, right, you're giving up on playing the best players. Right. Like that's, that's the way I typically like to lean. So anytime we get these smaller fields like this, I'm much more or smaller uh, slates. I'm much more likely to be willing to go with double tight end. Always a great day to be great. Might be a great week to have two tight ends in one lineup. You can do that on DraftKings.com. And then you can also download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Only new customers. Only minimum $5 deposit. $1 wage required. One per customer. Restricted supplies to DraftKings.com. Sportsbook with details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, shout out to our friends over at Western Southern, they have a fantastic deal for you. All you got to do is submit a question for Chris Collinsworth at westernsouthern.com slash feast. And if you do so, you will have eligibility to win a catering up to $2,500. They will coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on the day of the big game, February 13th. One more time, you can submit those questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. 
also want to point out that me, me, Dwayne, the whole fantasy crew, the whole PFF crew continues to grind throughout these playoffs, and we will do so 365 days of the year, which means a PFF subscription will always come in handy if you're trying to just be a smarter football fan, make some money fantasy, make some money in gambling, just have a general good time, and we are offering 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANCY. Again, all locked article content, betting dashboards, player prop tools, NFL draft guides, all that and so much more. So support the pod and use promo code FANCY fantasy for 25 percent off any sub final game where we go over here bills at the chiefs kc two-point favorites down just a tad from two and a half game total up to 55 after opening at 53 and a half doesn't look like weather will be an issue here 35 degrees three percent chance of rain four mile per hour wind love that the nfl went with this one at 6 30 on sunday i, I know i hate when they do the one four o'clock eastern time man because then like seven o'clock rolls around it's like i gotta talk to people now like what the hell am i supposed <laughs> to do uh with my sunday here so i I am happy they did that. It doesn't look like there are too many injuries to worry about, aside from the Chiefs' backfield, which we will get to in a little bit. But yeah, truly with Buffalo, only guy even on the injury report is Mario Addison, the defensive end, and even he's practicing in a limited fashion. So here's the thing with Josh Allen. If he plays as good as he did last week, it's going to be tough for the Chiefs or anyone else in the NFL to take him down. I mean, he was truly spectacular. And we saw that in the previous Patriots matchup and really in the first Chiefs game. I mean, all those games, he had a PFF passing grade north of 90. He is such a, you know, when you can combine everything the Bills do with passing the ball and, you know, their scheme and having guys like Diggs out there. And then you have a raw talent like Josh Allen. I forget who um, sent this tweet, so apologies. But someone made the great point where, like, that Josh Allen performance is why taking someone like Justin Fields or Trey Lance over someone like Mac Jones, why you can rationalize that because, you know, these just freak athletes that have the arm that can throw it over the mountain, you know, Uncle Rico level and can also run around. It just opens up the whole upside of your offense to a different level. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in San Fran. Having, you know, the safer Jimmy G led version can still get you really far. But my God, if you can have just a true world beater in there with that dual threat ability uh, can really open up something else. So just realize that's the best version of Josh. The worst version is pretty damn low, though. He flirted with the 50 PFF passing grade against the Dolphins, the Jaguars, and the Colts. We'll see which one shows up on Sunday. I do think, though, Josh is going to see either way, depending on what he's going to be, he will see a better version of this Chiefs defense than he saw back when they faced off earlier in the year. It looked like in the first six weeks of the year, man, this Chiefs team was arguably the worst defense in the league. They allowed at least 29 points in their first five games just once ever since, though. And we really have seen them take a step forward since adding Movem Ingram to the to the equation in week nine. You know, opening up the year, they were actually just 19th in pressure rate, 12th in quick pressure rate. Ever since then, they are 10th and fifth on that. So I think one uh, thing that we could see the Bills lean on more than ever with this being the last game of the year, can't hold anything back now as uh, you know, we heard back in the Waterboy. Love that movie. But it is Josh Allen in empty formations, man. And this is one of those things that I love when I watch the game, I kind of pick up on something, I go check it out over on PFF Ultimate later, and it adds up. And it's just like the idea, man, that when you can spread out a defense, Diggs, McKenzie, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, Singletary, you put five guys out wide and then you have a 6'5 240 pound quarterback still you don't lose your run game if anything you could be more dangerous running the football out of empty with a Lamar Jackson with a Josh Allen and that's what we've seen him man this year designed runs out of empty 
15 carries, 105 yards, seven yards per carry, and he's three for three at picking up first downs on third and fourth down. I went back his entire career, six for seven on design runs out of empty on third and fourth down, only once against the Patriots where it was like, third and four and he got still got three yards out of it so if you put josh you know one yard to go man he should be able to get there but if not maybe devin singletary can get the job done 10th in pff rushing gray on the year six in missed tackles force per carry 17th in yak per carry Hey, you know, L taken, Dwayne. I thought if anyone's going to take over this backfield, it was going to be Zach Moss. It was Devin Singletary, and he's been playing great football and really getting fed like a legit RB1. Credit to you for, uh, you know, being ahead of that, I think, relative to most of the industry by at least a week or two. And, I think and Singletary, could, yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting because I think next year you're probably still going to be okay as far as the way his price is going to work because remember, a lot of people tune out by the time of the year that we're at where Singletary has really taken over because their fantasy teams are done. So a lot of things get, you know, a lot of priors get baked in the next season. You've talked a lot about, hey, how do we skate basically to where the puck's going, not where it's been. And I think so with Singletary, you're probably going to see a lot. And people are still continuing to snooze on him. Like even whenever I look at our ranks and stuff, like I have to send people notes. I'm like, you sure? Like you want to be this low on Devin Singletary? (laughs) Usage is there, man. We are always trying to follow that sweet, sweet usage. Final notes here. Could it be a Gabe Davis game potentially? So the interesting thing here, looking specifically at coverage, you see the Chiefs actually have the highest percentage of their coverage with cover two. And that is where Josh's worst PFF passing grade comes from uh, just out of the big, you know, cover three, cover one, cover two and quarters, the big four coverage groups. So maybe they do have what it takes to slow down Josh. But again, I just think that if we're going to see the best version of this Chiefs offense or Bill's offense, excuse me, going to be tough for anyone, including the Chiefs to slow them down. They have been the most, I guess, uh, what's the right word? They've been, the, they've been able to be had by inline and backfield targets. That's been kind of their weak point on the year. 20th in yards per attempt versus inline, 23rd against the backfield, even 20th against slot. They've been at their best out wide, and I think that kind of helps explain why Stefan Diggs in his last three matchups, only one touchdown, hasn't been able to clear even 80 yards receiving. Perhaps this is the week that changes, but again, I do think Dawson Knox, uh, Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, and even Devin Singletary do have a lot of good chances here against a defense that really tries to force teams to, again, throw the ball more over the middle of the field as opposed, again, to their playmakers on the outside. So, Dwayne, let's start here on the pass game options because, again, this has been evolving. It's really easy to tell what's going on here when we have some injuries, but when each of Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, and Isaiah McKenzie are all active, as we've seen in recent weeks, they're keeping all these guys involved. Yeah, it's really a rotation. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders returned last week really gave us the data point that we needed because previously Sanders had been out. And then when he came back, we had Gabriel Davis on the COVID-19 list. He didn't play that week. So if you look at the way they're handling the snaps outside, um, Gabriel Davis handled 65% of the route. And this is total routes, but most of these coming on the outside for him and Sanders, 65% of the routes last week to Gabriel Davis, 55% to Emmanuel Sanders. So obviously they're landing on the field some together. Um, The Bills do use a lot of 10 personnel. And then sometimes one of these guys can kick inside. But the only player to really stay out there for most of the routes is Stefan Diggs. And even he took a little bit of a hit last week. And his routes had been 89%, 94%. 
and then in week uh, again last week in the wild card game dropped down to 77 percent now they were ahead late in the game so that could have been a little bit of it but even digs could be getting impacted by this a little bit but with Beasley that's the that's the other big one 64 percent routes 66 percent routes in week 17 and 18 and then in the wild card round that dropped down to only 29 percent despite the fact that the bills love to run 11 personnel and then we've seen Isaiah McKenzie really going the opposite way. He's been at 25% of the routes in week 17 and 18, and then that jumped to 39% last week. The other thing, you know, and again, this is a small sample size, so you have to be careful with some of these things, but targets per route run versus man coverage, Isaiah McKenzie, 20%, whereas Cole Beasley is at 16%. And if you look at the Patriots, like they were one of the most heavy run, uh, one of the most heavy man coverage teams um, remaining um, in the playoffs, or sorry, that was last week was a start the playoffs, but they're one of the most man-heavy teams in the league. And then whenever you look at really the way that the Chiefs like to play de- defense is really very similar. Um, they run man coverage on 35% of the dropbacks. Um, if you look at them down the stretch, they use man quite a bit. Um, actually, earlier in the season, they used it. They got away from it for a little while, but here down this last six, they've been at 33% of their coverage out of man. And so I think when you look at the Bills, like when it is man coverage, 28% of that goes to Stefan Diggs targets per route run and then you just mentioned the other guy gabriel davis 22 percent is second on the team and he's also got the highest yards per route run against man coverage at a 2.17 with Diggs being second on the team at 1.65 mckenzie's really second at 1.72 but it's only 155 routes so you kind of got to take it you know a little bit with a grain of salt whereas Diggs and davis have a much bigger sample size so uh, but again when you say that like of the routes, you know, we're going to be facing man coverage and that's high for the NFL, but that still means you're going to face zone, you know, 60, 65%. So with this matchup, I just don't see as clear, um, you know, of a situation where, um, you know, I'm really touting one player or the other, you know, a lot of times that's the way these things work. We've got the matchups that are really on the edges, right on the outsides where we know we get these extreme heavy, certain kind of looks that play well um, against the offense that they're facing against for a certain player. Um, Really not as much here. If I, obviously if you're putting a chip down on the passing game for the bills, it's still going to be on digs um, just because of his ability to, to win against single coverage. And if there is a single misstep by a Kansas city corner, you know that, Allen has the ability to get him the ball for a big play. You know, and Dix has been really close to a couple of really huge games here, like over the yeah. last four or five weeks. They just wasn't able to come through with due to penalties and some other things. So I still think he's fine. You know, targets are still there. Um, just hasn't had the big breakout game lately. Yeah, you've been having a awesome data all year, really, on the you know the zone beater and the man beater for each team. But it's a good point. We're like. We don't want. We want to be careful with that. Where if they are in a matchup where you know it's not really super yeah. leaning on one side or another, might be putting a little bit too much stock into it. But that's why I would like for next in season to be adding kind of a matchup themed podcast where we can just go over the you know prime guys that are really standing out and have everything going for them. And you know, hopefully. We help make all of you some money. And honestly, the, it comes down yeah. to a handful of players each week, right? It's not a uh, yeah, list. Exactly. Of like, it's not a list of like a hundred guys. Like it, it really. Honestly, what ends up happening, like, is you probably have seven to eight games at most where it really pops up and matters. The rest of them, it's not that it's not going to matter, but we just don't have enough confidence, right, to say that, you know, hey, you can really put stock in this and it should impact the way you're thinking about your lineups or the way you're thinking about fantasy for that week. Whereas with, you know, the majority, they land in the middle. You know, it's kind of in the middle where it's like, well, they run zone some, they run man some. And really, this team doesn't have a preference. Right. You know, so and like, look, 20, probably 20 out of the 32 teams, 
you know, the top receiver is just the top receiver. It doesn't matter if it's man <laughs> or it's zone. So it kind of makes it easy. We have these certain situations and certain, um, you know, teams where it really does show up as a, like the 49ers are a great example. Like for as many mm-hmm. good players as they have, they have very specific game plans based on who they're playing against. Similar sentiment with some of the pressure and blitz stuff. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. maybe, you know, for 20 teams it doesn't matter as much. But, hey, we'll focus I'm on I'm like you. Uh, it's like it you have to eventually take the step back and say, okay. Like, or at some point, you know, and I try to look at this stuff and look at the correlation and go back and look at it against, you know, like how helpful was it, right, in fantasy yeah. football in the past, which I want to do a lot more work on that in this offseason. But to your point, you always have to take that step back. Right. Because like you also get to where you're slicing the data down so far, like your sample sizes as they get too small, you can't really trust them. So there's a lot of things we have to work through with it. But I love the idea of that matchup pod where really you just focus in on like maybe the top 10 to 15 like nuggets for the week by position. Because if we try to, Dwayne, like we're still not done. We're at an hour and 17 here. If we took this approach like to a normal 16 game slate, like we would have like eight or nine hour podcasts. And even Which we've kind of done, to be honest, and we've signed yeah. yeah. It kind of makes me proud that we've managed to make those other pods be two and a half hours. Like I feel better about it now that we've talked through this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, everyone, back to the task at hand. I mentioned this before, but, you know, when I was going through the quarterbacks that the Buccaneers have faced, you know, maybe kind of uh, an underwhelming group aside from Josh Allen, obviously. A similar thing is true for the Bills. Number one in like any pass defense metric you're going to look for and be able to find um, out there on the old internet. But per Mike Clay, ESPN's finest, here are the only quarterbacks with at least 20 pass attempts against the Bills this year. Mac Jones, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, after that, Tua, Mike White, Jacoby Brissett, Cam Newton, Ben Rosberger, Trevor Simeon, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Taylor Heineke, Davis Mills, and Carson Wentz. Lest we forget, Tom Brady did go for 363 and a trio of scores. Patrick Mahomes, not too shabby as well, at least from a fantasy perspective. But what was really interesting in that Mahomes matchup, they had not blitz him once. 65 dropbacks. The guy wasn't blitzed once and this was different man the AFC championship they did blitz him eight times six for eight 59 yards pair of touchdowns no picks and on the year I mean the Bills aren't the most blitz happy team in the league or anything still 20th and with 24.5 percent other defensive plays including a blitz not even once against him back when they met in week uh five I believe it was so you know on the year, Mahomes, 9.1 yards per attempt against the Blitz. That's fourth. When he's not Blitz, 7.2, 16th. He has improved this, you know, since their Week 12 bye, 7.8 yards per attempt, which is sixth among qualified quarterbacks during that stretch. So it's kind of like the stuff we are talking about with Joe Burrow. Like, even the lesser version of Patrick Mahomes is still a damn good quarterback. But if we can, you know, not let him be the best player on the planet, that's going to be a win for the defense. So keep an eye out on that. But I do think the Bills are probably going to sit back and kind of do a similar strategy man like they've i think they've played now let's see three times in the last like 18 months I thought the first time they played in the regular season was brilliant. I mean, they lost. Clyde Alaire ran for like 165 yards, but they only they got Patrick Mahomes to drop back like 25 times the entire game because they just dared the Chiefs to go out there and run the ball. We'll see, you know, if they are able to do that. Basically, I think the Bills kind of helped drew up the blueprint to begin with for how to help the Bills, yeah, to help slow down the Chiefs because you just kind of try to force Patrick Mahomes to dink and dunk his way down the field. And we know when you got that sort of arm talent, not something he's necessarily, you know, 
know, thrilled about doing on a play-by-play -play basis. I do wonder if Jarek McKinnon could be the kind of spark that helps them make big plays out of this strategy. He's caught his last nine targets for 107 yards and two touchdowns. And when you look at the Bills, again, they're so good everywhere against the pass. Number one in yards per attempt allowed to inline targets. Number one allowed to targets on the outside. But 13th against the backfield and 11th uh, inside against the slot. So I do think uh, Jarek McKinnon could be a bit of an X factor for the Chiefs in this one. We'll see how much he's out there. Clyde Edwards-Alaire looking like he'll be back uh, from that shoulder issue. But we also have Daryl Williams, who's not actually able to practice to start the week with a toe injury. Still trying to figure out, you know, how much of Jarek playing over Daryl last week was due to that toe and how much of it was that weird Michael Hartman, Daryl Williams trick play turned fumble back for a touchdown. So um, would bring up that this is a different version of the Bills defense that shut down the Chiefs. It's a lot easier to, you know, devote resources to your coverage when you have Tredavious White out there. Since losing uh, Tredavious White, they've had to put in Dane Johnson, who is PFF's 110th highest ranked cornerback in coverage grade. That is not good. People, final point before I throw it over to Dwayne just overall like this Chiefs offense we saw that mid-year downturn like they were not the same monster that we saw in the past they couldn't score like against really anyone other than the Raiders for like a legit six-week stretch and they are still first in the league in EPA per pass play. It's not the same as past years. They're at .214. In the past, they've been they've never been worse than .258. But with Mahomes under center, man, first in 2018, first in 2019, second in 2020, first in 2021. So it's just crazy to me that even the relatively worst version and the worst version of the Chiefs passing offense we've seen is still the best in the freaking NFL in terms of EPA per play. So, you know, Chiefs Bills, this is, uh, you know, I think last year when the Chiefs played the Ravens, that was the last time Mahomes was actually an underdog going into the game. We are still seeing them sitting as two-point favorites, but I feel like this is the closest we've been since then to people, you know, really considering the Chiefs as a potential dog. Dwayne, do you think Mahomes in this passing game can kind of conquer those demons that they saw earlier in the year, put up some big-time points, and when what I'm hoping is going to be, you know, an entertaining shootout? Yeah, I hope we can get to the implied points of 28, you know, for Kansas City. <laughs> Let's um, go. But to your point, like the Bills have been part of the blueprint on how to beat the Chiefs, right? They've helped establish this. And I think they're going to come out and use the same game plan because we've seen it frustrate Patrick Mahomes. And to your point, he's gotten better at it. He's gotten better at taking the underneath stuff. He's gotten better at playing within the constructs of the offense when he's having to face all the two high safeties and all these things. But at the end of the day, we know Mahomes still wants to make these big plays. He's going to have a quarterback on the other side trying to make big plays, getting to play against the cover one single high looks that he's sitting there wishing that he was getting. And Josh <laughs> Allen's going to be getting to, you know, hopefully do, you know, his magic on those same things. Things. So we'll have to see what happens with Mahomes. Like I've got Josh Allen as my number one quarterback this weekend. I've got Patrick Mahomes as my number two. So, I mean, I do love, I love this matchup. I hope that we see a lot of points in the game. Like you mentioned, the weather shouldn't really be a factor. So, I mean, it's just, look, it's, it's hard to not have, and look, we're down to the point now where you've got all great quarterbacks. You got Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and then you got a group of you know good quarterbacks with Stafford, yeah. Tannehill, and then you got the caretaker and Jimmy Garoppolo. But like just by the time you get to this point in the season, like it gets really hard ranking quarterbacks because you know these are the guys that you always get to rank at the top anyway because they're awesome. And now you're having to literally you have to like really sit down and think about each one of them against each other like more than we normally would because people are wanting to look at the ranks and decide how to set their lineup so i do like mahomes enough to have him at my number two um you look at his offensive line pass blocking advantage it's a 
25, which is the second best on the slate. So I like that. So Mahomes should have some time. As far as, you know, the way, uh, you know, the rest of this team is going to go, I don't think folks really need me to say you've done a good job. Like Tyreek Hill, you're going to play him. Travis Kelsey, you're going to play him. (laughs) Hill, the big thing is we just need to see him get back to a full complement of snaps. You know, he's had the Hill injury. Um, I know that he got up to 74% of the routes last week after being at only 22% in week 18. So he was still a little bit limited. But again, another game that was within hand late. So could could Hill have played, you know, 90, 95% of the snaps potentially, but really his targets are the more telling thing, only 8% and 13% over the last two weeks. So hopefully he is really ready to go this week. I know looking at the injury report for, um, you know, or the practice report for Kansas City, Tyreek Hill was li- wasn't even listed yesterday. He was just a full participant. And, and then the same thing for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So I think the trickiest thing about this game, Ian, is just figuring out what's the backfield going to look like. Um, because now um, it looks like Clyde Edwards Lillard is going to be fine, not on the injury report at all um, with the full practice. But we saw, to your point, Jarek McKinnon, like he was a bit of, uh, you know, looking at your, your note sheet here, the, the spark <laughs> with the cue. Like he. <laughs> I didn't even do that on purpose. That's amazing. I thought it, I thought it was awesome <laughs> because, you know, he was this big spark. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Everybody loved McKinnon because of his spark numbers, like when he first came out. His athletic profile is like 40 yard dash and all that. It's identical. Ladanian Tomlinson, which shows you how messed up uh, following nothing but athletic unmeasurables can be sometimes. I mean, and not that it doesn't matter. It does. Like when you've yeah. got a great, you know, broad jump and 40 time invert those things together do help show explosiveness, but there are a lot of explosive athletes. And to your point, there's more to football than, than just those things. Um, the best players combine those things with their natural traits, you know, as well as instincts and things like that. But with McKinnon, like back to the, I thought you were about to break out in like a Snoop Dogg, you know, and Dr. Dre earlier, back to the lecture at hand. Uh, so with McKinnon, he's just, he looked, he's just looked, he looked better than anything we've seen all year from these other backs. I mean, no offense to, to Daryl, you know, Williams and no offense to Clyde Edwards Alaire, but like just his, his explosive long, you know, ability to make big plays. Like it's just really what clearly stood out to me going back and watching that game, you know, I watched it live, but going back and being able to, you know, we've got a cool tool on the back end with ultimate that we can isolate down and just like go back and rewatch the plays, Oh yeah, you know, where McKinnon played and, you know, he, he just looked like he had a different gear than what we've seen. So it's going to be interesting. He played 78% of the snaps last week. I, he's not going to get that. Here's what I think is going to happen. Daryl Williams didn't practice um, yesterday. He's got the toe issue. My gut says that Williams played last week because they basically had to have somebody, I think it's going to be Edwards Alaire and Jarrett McKinnon. I think you're going to see Edwards Alaire on the early downs um, on Sunday. Um, and then I think you're going to see Jarek McKinnon really handling, handling the passing down work, the two minute offense, all of that stuff. Now they could get Williams a little bit more involved, but I think, you know, the way the week started as far, as far as the practice reports go, like he's the guy I would leave out, right? He's the guy I wouldn't really touch as far as DFS or thinking about what you're going to do this weekend from a fantasy perspective um, or betting props, you know, unless you're going, unless you get a good line where you can go on the under, I guess. Uh, but as far as, you know, McKinnon, like just, just the better option, right? Out of the backfield as well, you know, as far as, you know, a receiver, but his explosive run rate last week carries of 10 yards or more, 33% of his touches went for Ooh. 10 yards or more yards per route run 2.31. I mean, so it's just it's it's all about the Chiefs when you look at them. Like we've talked about it all year. Yeah, Kelsey's great. Yes, Tyreek Hill's great. But who's the other player on the offense that the that the defense has to worry about? And if they don't worry about them, like they're enough of a mismatch, they can make that big play that can change the game. And we just haven't seen it. Pringles come through here and there. He's a nice player. 
Hardman like has the speed, but Mahomes doesn't trust him. He struggles really to be in the right place at the right time. Daryl Williams, yeah, kind of forced them the ball, but it's not like Daryl Williams is this huge playmaker, despite the fact that he mossed, you know, a safety, you know, in the end zone like eight weeks ago. Other than that, like Daryl Williams, he's a nice player, but he's not like yesterday I wrote about the top eight free agent running backs. You know, Daryl Williams is a free agent. He ain't on that list. Like he's not in there. Um, Daryl Williams, you know, happens to play on a really good offense. You know, he's got some run with the first team and volume matters. Um, so with me, when I look at McKinnon, like he's, he's, could he potentially be in the playoffs, that other guy for the chiefs? Because I think we've seen all these other players enough to know that, that they're fine. They are what they are and they're NFL players, but they're not difference makers. And, and McKinnon, we've seen him do it in the past as well, even though it's been small, you know, sample sizes, we've seen McKinnon be a difference maker for other teams. We've seen him do it from Minnesota. Um, when Dalvin cook was hurt in his rookie year, we've seen him show it in small flashes. He was never really healthy in San Francisco, but we know that the potential is there. Dude, like it's ridiculous how we have, I think of it like that SpongeBob meme where the one he's like freaking jacked beyond belief and the other one is just kind of like sitting there with his hand out. It's like Clyde Edwards-Alaire versus literally every other player that plays running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, come (laughs) on, Clyde. So we'll see. I mean, he'll be the short yardage guy. I I think he maybe gets a little more grief than he deserves. But yeah, man, like when they were making the runs in 2019 and 2020, Damian Williams was a huge part of that pass game really with that Jarek McKinnon game last week and some stuff Daryl did throughout the year as well including that one Moss play that you know everyone couldn't shut up about for a while um you know this really is a different offense when they can have that third receiver whether it's a running back or a Sammy Watkins type Dwayne you mentioned it you got your top eight free agent running backs for 2022 fantasy football season over on pff.com also your always fantastic critically acclaimed utilization report I'm sure you got your fantasy rankings around the corner anything else you want to get off your chest my friend no man just good luck to everybody this weekend uh hopefully your teams if they're in it survive you know Ian and I lost the Cowboys last week so yeah <sighs> that's how it goes but it's playoff football man you start get you get and now we're the wild card weekend we had just some of these bad teams still hanging around. You know, we don't have that this weekend. These are all great matchups. Can't wait to see how the weekend plays out. And how did I deal with the Cowboys grief? I woke up Monday morning and I wrote an article about the Cowboys missed opportunity. Was this the best Cowboys team of the Dak Prescott era? Yes. Very sad. I didn't come away feeling good. Well, we got an article out of it, and that's my job. So there we go. <laughs> also on PFF.com, I wrote a nice piece. Are we positive as possible to slow down Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow? It is, but, you know, as you heard here, got some uh, cool takeaways from there. And I also looked at the running back situation. Again, Dwayne and I apparently just, you know, doing the same shit now without even <laughs> I didn't, knowing yeah, it. I saw that, and I was like, I could have held that for next week and done the receivers yesterday. <laughs> I, I think it's actually, it's actually nice. So I looked at your article uh, briefly, and Dwayne kind of took more of a player approach to it. I kind of looked a little bit more at the situation. Uh, the players could be leaving and or entering. So check those out on pff.com. And again, I also have a piece up there on Friday, really centering on what Josh Allen and Debo Samuel have been able to bring to their respective rushing attacks. So thank you all for tuning in to this edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.